Hey, welcome to that Hobbit shit. I'm Mike. I'm Corey. Hey, Corey. <laughs> hey, Mike. What chapter are we talking about today? Uh, well, Mike, I got a question for you. Would you say that we got a little intoxicated in our last episode? Uh, I did a little bit, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I, I seem to recall getting a, a little bit heated over my famous dragon. Um, it's just the reason I ask is because chapter nine, as Tolkien titled it, is Wood Elves Gone Wild. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm silently chuckling. Uh, I heard the beginning of your chuckle, and I was hoping for more, but that's fine. Um, so things elves it, will do for a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, oh God! You know, okay, uh, I'm gonna have to cut this out. Uh, this is behind-the-scenes stuff, but uh, I had an alternate title to this chapter, and uh, that I was going to pick, and I told Tiffany both of them, like you did last chapter, and she said this was the funnier one. <laughs> So, uh, That's approved. Yeah. The other, the other one was a little bit more uh, PG, I suppose. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> okay, I'll just tell you, it was going to be Mr. Baggins's Wild Ride. <laughs> is that like, is that in reference to Mr. Bones's Wild Ride? Mr. Bone? No, like Mr. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Oh. Mr. Bones, Mr. Bones Wild Ride is this internet meme that is so funny. <laughs> is it? Is it dirty? No, no, no. Someone, um, you remember the game Roller Coaster Tycoon? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone made um, a roller coaster in it called Mr. Bones Wild Ride, <laughs> and it didn't have an end. <laughs> and so they loaded it full of people and then just like watched them for days and days on it. And then it was this big long post about how he was just torturing all the little roller coaster tycoon people and then it ended with one of their dialogue boxes saying i want to get off mr bones's wild ride <laughs> okay yeah i can see that yeah it's pretty funny <laughs> i'm gonna add uh, this to my memes to look up mr bones wild ride yes <laughs> <laughs> supplementary memes to the episode <laughs> Mike, I, I do feel like one day we're gonna break into into videos, and then it'll just be a visual nightmare and or dream. Yeah, Elves Gone Wild. Yeah. What, what was I going to say about it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, do elves get spring break? <laughs> I do. Uh, I want to say that every day is spring break for an elf. Oh, God. <laughs> remember, remember them in the fucking trees just laughing at the doors? <laughs> laughing, throwing beads down. <laughs> Take your shirt off, father. Show us your beard. <laughs> oh, and you guys thought we reached our lowest depths of depravity with Gandalf stealing underwear. <laughs> This might be the low point of the of the series. <laughs> well, we are we are approximately ten episodes in now. Um, but we, I, I should get on with my summary. <laughs> if you're going to sexualize one of the races of Middle Earth, it should probably be the elves. Uh, that's probably your safest bet, I think. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway. <laughs> 
so <laughs> to completely digress, uh, when we last left our heroes, uh, Bilbo and the 12 of the dwarves had escaped from the spiders, uh, but they were in pretty bad shape, which we will uh, come back to. Thorin, meanwhile, had been captured and interrogated by the King of the Wood Elves, having decided not to say anything whatsoever about uh, where they were going and what he was doing. Uh, Thorin got thrown in the dungeon. Chapter 9 starts out extremely dramatically, as Bilbo and the dwarves are on the verge of starvation and death. Instead of wandering aimlessly until death or luck brought them out of the forest, eight out of the 13 of them agreed in what direction the lost path lay. And that level of agreeing between them, which is 61.5%, by the way, is actually quite shocking given their plight and their history, uh, and they may have miscounted Bomber. But anyhow, they decided to head towards where they thought the path was. And as they walked, light suddenly burst out all around them. It was the torches of the Wood Elves. And the Wood Elves pointed spears and arrows at the dwarves and demanded that they surrender. And I can't stress enough how pathetic they were at this moment. Uh, they put up no fight or argument whatsoever. They just sat down and waited to be chained up. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's all very amusing to picture them <laughs> uh, just sitting down like a little brother <laughs> being chased by his big brother it just knows he's cornered yeah yeah uh it's it definitely do not get it confused with like uh passive resistance they were giving up <laughs> um but bilbo however uh had the wherewithal to slip on the ring and follow behind them invisible bilbo what else brave. pardon uh, if i can Sorry, if I can interject for a second. Dory must have been pretty messed up to give up. <laughs> Being the strongest of the dwarves and the hero that he was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He probably took the, most of the pinching because he was so formidable. <laughs> he probably stepped in front of lesser dwarves to receive their pinching. <laughs> like just sparing Feely and Keely <laughs> the pinching of a lifetime. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Oh, uh, so the Wood Elves marched them to their secret castle in the forest, and Bilbo somewhat reluctantly followed them inside the castle because it seemed um, a little bit uh, foreboding and scary and magical. Very much as a side note to the narrative, uh, the elves were singing as they led the prisoners through the castle. Uh, and I always like the idea of songs that uh, they mention but don't give the lyrics to. Uh, I find that amusing. Anyhow. Uh, the doors were brought before the great goblin, I, <laughs> I mean the elven king, and he questioned them thoroughly about their business in the forest. And even though the dwarves were apparently very thankful to be captured, they were very, very surly and unwilling to say anything to the elven king. And Balin in particular gave him quite the sassing. Uh, so as a result, <laughs> they all got thrown in separate little prisons. They probably could have plied Bomber with food and tricked him. <laughs> That, maybe that's their long plan because don't they like feed them up in the, in the prisons they do yeah oh yeah they treat them pretty well i think um actually uh, uh we'll, we'll actually come back to that because they had been uh feeding uh thorin in his prison for a couple days at this point um so yeah they were in prisons uh they were locked up they were without bilbo bilbo spent a very long time alone in the castle, wandering about and stealing food when he could. Uh, and he was wearing his ring the whole time, but he really had absolutely no idea how to save the dwarves or himself. And he was uh, actually for once too sensible to wander off in the forest on his own and try to find a way out. Uh, so eventually in his invisible wanderings, 
he found all the dwarves in their various cells, and he happened to overhear some of the elves talking about another dwarf being held in a very special, extra dank prison even deeper in the castle. And so Thorin was there too. Uh, but by the time Bilbo had found him, Thorin was actually on the verge of cracking, like we were saying, uh, and perhaps even considering offering the elf king a bit of gold. Among other things. <laughs> I think he said, I will do anything if you let us out of here. <laughs> or let me out of here. If I give you these beads, <laughs> uh, it's, it's unclear. It was, it's, it's always unclear what's going on in Thornton's mind. And so, so it's hard to say. <laughs> Uh, but uh, essentially, as soon as like the the second, the, the very instant that he realized uh, Bilbo was like free within the castle, he immediately banished all thoughts of offering the elves fucking anything. Uh, so he was a little bit heartened by this to know that everybody was there. And for a while, Bilbo became a kind of uh, telegram service, uh, carrying messages back and forth between Thorin and the other dwarves, uh, Dory, for example. Uh, and then once messages were passed around, uh, all the dwarves very, very thoroughly agreed with not giving anyone, especially elves, another scrap of gold ever for the rest of the journey. <laughs> um, but all the many, uh, apparently weeks, I think, that Bilbo spent uh, wandering in terror or wearily carrying messages to Dory, he tried to think of a way for all of them to escape the castle. Now, he discovered that because the king was so very fond of wine and because no grapes grew in Mirkwood, there was a trading system for the castle to receive barrels of wine and other provisions. You see, Mike, <laughs> there's a river that runs through the forest and goes underneath the castle. And the elves use this river to send their empty barrels back downstream to the Long Lake, which is a town of men, which seems to be some sort of a Venice-like town. Bilbo realizes, or decides, whichever you like, that this barrel system is the only way to get the dwarves out of the castle. And one evening, while skulking around, he heard the castle's head butler and the chief of the guards making plans to sneak some of the king's wine and to get quite nicely drunk. So the barrels were returned that night. The barrels were supposed to be returned that night, and the butler needed a hui nip of courage for the work. And it was the heady vintage of the great gardens of Dorwinian that they were sneaking. This was, this was meant for the king, Mike. This the king's is the private custom. reserve? Yes. I want to come back to Dorwinian. Actually, let's just talk about it now. Mike, did you look up Dorwinian at all? Out of curiosity? I, I didn't bother. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you didn't bother. Um, I looked it up. It's, it's incredibly uninteresting, and it seems like it really is just something that was like mentioned in passing and never ever returned to. <laughs> it wasn't worth my time. Is it a, a land famous for their wine? Uh, yeah, because I think this is all Tolkien ever actually said about it. <laughs> There's quite a bit of, um, I suppose, uh, indexy fan type uh, extended universe uh, speculation on it, but uh, it, it was just a place where the wine came from. <laughs> Let's just agree that the the blue wizards visited there for a time. Do you think they made the wine? Probably. <laughs> I'd have to say yes. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, we were at the uh, the heady the heady vintage of Dorwinian. And apparently, as the narration tells us, the butler's wine glasses were huge. They were huge glasses. So the two get drunk and pass out extremely quickly, uh, which is wonderful. Meanwhile, Bilbo steals the keys from the chief guard, and he lets out all the dwarves one by one and leads them all, including Thorin, back to the bear room. 
The empty barrels were all lined up near the trap door down to the river, ready to go. So Bilbo begins packing the dwarves into barrels one by one. He packed them quite well, like uh, kind of like glasses that you're gonna like mail to someone with straw and comfy stuff and bubble wrap, I assume. He packing finally peanuts. Yes. Oh man. Oh no. No no no. You can't put peanuts in a barrel with a dwarf. That that just wouldn't. <laughs> Why I don't know. They'd eat them, I assume. Uh... <laughs> Uh, at least one of the dwarves would eat those peanuts. Is this a bomber joke? I'm not saying who. <laughs> I'll say it, it, it wouldn't be Dory. Dory's too much of a hero. Yeah. He'd, he'd find a way <laughs> to get those peanuts into somebody else's barrel who was starving. Um, yeah, he would just brace himself against the sides and say, I'm fine. <laughs> his His... Uh, his quadriceps on his legs are so strong that he can just hold himself steady for days at a time a two-day wall sit <laughs> nothing for a hero um so he finally pa- Bilbo finally packs the, the last dwarf in which is Balin. Uh, when the butler's helpers finally show up to help with the barrels they very much want to finish their work and return to the merry feast which is uh coincidentally happening upstairs in the castle they wake up the drunken butler who is naturally a little surly and the butler passes around a bit more of that primo wine. So the elves get to work and they sing a very raucous drinking song uh, in which roll, roll, roll seems to be the only lyrics, which is evident of how drunk they are. Um, so as the elves are working and they get quite comfortably drunk for a long while, they then begin to sing a very sentimental song about the barrels. And so we get to the very, very last second when Bilbo realizes that he has no plan for his own escape. So he manages to grab the last barrel as it's pushed over the edge into the river. And then the real adventure of the barrels begins. So they go rolling and tumbling down the river over falls and through rapids and loop-to-loops. And Bilbo wonders if water is getting into the dwarves' barrels, uh, which is funny because he just sort of casually mentions, I wonder if the dwarves are drowning. (laughs) As they scream in horror. (laughs) But he, he can't hear them over the roar of the river that's drowning them. Um, so yeah, the hobbit himself is, uh, is freezing uh, because it's autumn in the river and he tries to cling to the top of his barrel instead of floating along with it in the water. Um, and I've said barrel an awful lot of times. Um, and they go down and down and down and down until they all collect at a bay uh, in a common part of the river. A bunch of elves collect them and tie them together and they tie them together so that they can send them the rest of the way to Lake Town the next morning. So here, the narration goes out of its way to skip part of Bilbo's adventure, um, which we can only assume it was glossing over some general cowardice and bumbling. But what we do know, he was invisible, and he left soaking wet footprints everywhere he went around, like the little camp or town that he was in. And uh, Like the Invisible Man. Yeah, a lot like the Invisible Man, uh, except the Invisible Man was probably taller and didn't sneeze as much. Oh, he did some sneezing, Corey. Did he? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really, he really did. Oh, oh okay. Sneezing and, and wet footprints gave him away at one point. Okay, so I've got a list of memes to look up. I've also got books that I own that I should read. I'm going to add The Invisible Man. <laughs> it's quite good. I like that. Yeah, it's uh, I, I have it in, uh, I think there are five H.G. Wells novels uh, in like one volume. It's pretty sweet, um, but I've only read two of them, I think. Um, anyhow, the, the, what, what, what you what you got in there? So the time machine, War of uh, the Worlds. Yeah, the time machine, War of the Worlds. Those are two that I've read. Uh, I think there's also uh, there's definitely the Invisible Man. I think it's the Island of Doctor Moreau. Ooh. Uh, I think the last one might be the 
Food of the Gods, which I don't know anything about. I haven't read that one or heard of it. Yeah. Huh. I've read all the others. I did a, yeah, I had to write an essay back in school about the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a, that's a cool book to have to read in school. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Uh, we also read The Time Machine in that course. Oh, man. And possibly War, War of the I think we, yeah, War, War of the Worlds as well. Was it like a, uh, a, was that that sci-fi class that you took? Yeah, it was great. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's super cool. Oh, man. The only elective I got an A in (laughs) (laughs) through my entire career. Coincidentally. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It just happened to be the one course that was interesting that you got an A in. (laughs) Anyway. What are we doing talking about other books? Um, okay, okay. <laughs> this has been that H.G. Wells shit. <laughs> do, we, do we just predict our own future? Um, Some sort of a time machine? <laughs> time travel. Uh, where were we? Bilbo was invincible. He was soaking wet. He was sneezing and he left footprints everywhere. Uh, he did manage to steal uh, a loaf of bread. I'm sure a very fine, hearty, stinking sourdough of the lake people and a bottle of wine and an entire pie. And I would like to point out that uh, this evening while Bilbo is wandering around invisible in this camp, sneezing and stealing food, we have to keep in mind that there's got to be like a good solid 12 hours here. Uh, where the dwarves were still locked in their barrels and floating <laughs> in the river. As we know, Bomber doesn't go long between shits. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. You know what? Of all the things that I thought about this, I did not think of them having to, oh, for the love of God. <laughs> Remember when Bilbo was wondering if water was getting into the barrels? <laughs> They're shitting in there. They'd have they're, to. They're wallowing in it too. <laughs> and it's like I don't know. It's like November. It's it's so cold and and late in the fall. Um, okay, well, great. Thanks, Bobo. You're a real hero. He's no Dory. Um, <laughs> Uh, the next morning, then uh, Bilbo, who is still invisible, happens to hop onto the elves' raft of barrels as they begin to row towards Lake Town, and that's where chapter nine ends. Uh, and we're unsure if the dwarves are dead or alive. <laughs> I think one of them at least has died. Well, it's not Dory. No, Dory wouldn't. No, it would take more than a barrel to take out Dory. <laughs> Got some uh, some chapter notes there, Mike. I have a bunch, <laughs> a lot of questions. Okay. The uh, the convoluted system in which the Elven King gets his wine. Yes. Thank you. That is also one of my notes. <laughs> um, why? Uh, so, so someone has to paddle those barrels back. Yeah. Up a river. Full. Full of food and wine. Yeah, I almost wonder, like, do they bring them, like, do they maybe bring the barrels by, like, cart or something? And they, and they only return the barrels through the river system i I don't know it's yeah it's bonkers (laughs) like very convenient isn't it (laughs) are you saying this is some sort of plot device it's very like the wood elves to set up a very convenient way for themselves to dispense of these barrels 
without any, any thought towards how they will get the barrels there again. Yeah, it's probably extremely complicated the way that the like the men of Lake Town have to get the barrels up there. You know, and it does mention the narration says that the the wood elves didn't bother much with trade, <laughs> and yet they've got this. They they have a legitimate system in place. <laughs> they built their whole house around it, their whole kingdom. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, the men of Lake Town are getting out of this. Let's just assume they're getting the ability to hunt in the forest. How about that? Wait, no, there's nothing to eat in the forest, just foul squirrels. <laughs> yeah, or like, uh, or ghost deer. Because I'm, I'm not convinced those deer were real. <laughs> I don't think the one, the white one was not. No, no, that was, uh, that was some elvish trickery. <laughs> what really confused me about the barrel system was, um, so like they don't, they don't just go down the river back to the town. They go down the river and then they collect and then there are a bunch of elves there to tie them up and then row them back to the town? Is that like a village of elves that are there just to collect the barrels? I think so. I think there's like kind of I, maybe like a, kind of a watchtower kind of deal where maybe they in shifts they go out and hang out at this elvish village. Okay, okay. That's, maybe right. they've wronged the king in some way. Got too raucous and saying... Uh, a song about barrels that was too sentimental. Yeah, or they stole his wine and stayed up all night drinking. <laughs> you know, Bilbo was nice enough to return the keys uh, to the chief guard before they left, so it looked like they escaped by some kind of crazy dwarf magic. <laughs> <laughs> Has Bilbo never heard of a doorstop? Because he kind of could have gotten around this whole barrel escape if he had just put a stone or something in the door when it closed automatically. Do, do you think they would... Well, I don't know. Do they have doorstops? Um... In the Shire? <laughs> do you think a magic door would abide a doorstop? Maybe it would just bash it to smithereens. <laughs> like, like a rock giant in the mountains? Yeah. Good thing Bilbo didn't stick his foot there to try to stop it. Bilbo said, uh, like, he was afraid to go wander off through the forest because they're, like, they got fucked up in Mirkwood pretty fast. <laughs> Even if he could get all the dwarves to the front door, maybe that just would have been a bad idea. Yeah, they probably would have just been in trouble all over again. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, well, I, actually, this kind of connects to another note that I have. Um, Bilbo said, drat this dwarved rack, dwarvish racket again. <laughs> I love it yes, when he, he says that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the third time he said that. <laughs> I, th- I think the uh, the elf king might say something at some point about how loud the dwarves are. Oh yeah, I think when, when uh, he's arguing with Balin, he's like, "You guys were so loud in the forest that you roused the spiders." <laughs> <laughs> he did say that the dwarvish racket. <laughs> it's not just. I thought it was just Bilbo's perspective being a quiet little guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I don't know. The dwarves are like very surly so i feel like if they could be quiet they're choosing not to <laughs> <laughs> they're not happy at this point not at all they were all starving uh yeah actually that's that's another uh another thing i wanted to talk about is that just their pathetic condition at the beginning of this <laughs> chapter <laughs> like they're all poisoned and like starving and like they had to cut off parts of their beards to get the cobwebs out <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> It was just 
<laughs> like just so shitty. Like uh patchy beards and they've lost everything but their knives. <laughs> and like the wood elves who are probably in some kind of like fancy wood elf hunting regalia show up around them and they're just these shitty guys. They just sit down like take us, please. They probably all sighed in unison when they sat down. <sighs> The elves saved their lives. This is really told from Bilbo's perspective. The elven perspective of this would be, we found these losers in the forest on Dust's doorstep. Yeah, and they like nursed them back to health in their dungeons. They probably weren't even dungeons. They were probably just like bedrooms. <laughs> with well, lots of doors. Yeah, they're, they're, in a, they're in 13 different rooms. Like I, I imagine they don't have 13 separate dungeons. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's not like they were all in one dungeon with, uh, like, a dungeon master who's just whipping them. <laughs> it said Bilbo drilled more holes in some of the barrels. Okay. I think we shouldn't probably investigate that too thoroughly, but um, it seems like digging or drilling holes in those barrels is a, a big mistake if they're going to be floating down the river with no way of knowing which way is up. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, unless he will, <laughs> unless he was trying to thin out the number of dwarves. <laughs> Supplies are really not going very far. We got a, a couple of these guys with problems. And they all have such a clear idea in their mind of like their 14th share of the treasure. Um, like I guess an entire fully functioning dwarven city, they're going to divide in 14 for 14 people. <laughs> And they're all so greedily interested in it. It's a it's a, a huge amount of wealth too. It's, it's thousands of dwarves worth of gold and riches. Yeah, like one of their most thriving cities at a time. <laughs> it's weird that they wouldn't just offer one fourteenth of that to the, the elves would have been no big deal. And they could have gotten a nice, you know, escort all the way there. Yeah, they, they could have walked out the front door with their heads held high. <laughs> you brought up how they, they've decided they're not offering any more of the treasure out, which is interesting, and we should remember that because <laughs> they do make offers later on. Yeah, I, uh, I seem to recall uh, that, that they're about to make many offers. <laughs> I'm curious if they actually make those offers or if... Um, there are assumptions made and the dwarves just don't bother to correct those assumptions. Yeah, it, it, it actually, hmm, yeah, it could be either way. I'm not sure. Um, it's kind of funny, like how many times uh, both of us have read this book and it's like it, it, the general story we know very well, but like the little details <laughs> were kind of like, I wonder how this is going to play out. I wonder how that's going to happen. <laughs> the first time I read it, I thought that uh, what's his pickle died in the forest. Um, uh, uh, Bomber. Oh, like when he fell in the river? Yeah, I thought he died. For some reason, I skirted right over that. And I was like, well, now there are only 11 dwarves or 12 <laughs> dwarves. No, that's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. Because like, yeah, you do, you do just kind of like assume stuff like that when you're like, when you're younger. Yeah. And like, yeah. You, yeah. Especially with all the focus on butterflies at that point in the story when, when Bomber comes back. <laughs> are you talking like metaphors for the soul being released from this mortal plane? Yes. <laughs> uh, I made a note that uh, not only did Bilbo mention the dwarvish racket, but he also wished again for his hobbit hole. 
not for the last time. And I don't think he's done that for a little bit. Uh, no, he said this was the dreariest and dullest part of his journey, which is really interesting because it it really wasn't that bad for Little Bilbo. Yeah, he was like pretty safe. Yeah, he just safe. He had lots to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't that bad. He he just got out of a forest where he was slowly dying and <laughs> a knife fight with a bunch of spiders, uh, which he was certainly the champion of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how does he describe it? He's like a burglar who is like doomed to burgle the same house over and over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's he's really taken to being a burglar. Actually, that's an interesting turnaround for his character. He's it's like second nature to him now. Yeah, um, stealing the ring really was the turning point in his career. <laughs> he became a burglar. Yeah, yeah um, his career began. <laughs> this leads into into my last chapter note. I noticed that Bobo goes about stealing food using the ring. Do you know who else uses the ring to steal food? Gollum? Yeah. I wonder if Tolkien created that parallel on purpose or um, if it's just a coincidence. Oh, yeah. You know, that's interesting because, yeah, Bilbo in the elven castle is a lot like Gollum in the Goblin Town. Like, Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's a point where um, I think it might be in Return of the King where we find out that when Gollum was a hobbit, he was shunned from his community and he just had to like slink around stealing food. Right. Right. Interesting. Huh. I made a joke earlier about uh, the Elven King being the same as the Goblin King, just because like <laughs> they're all sort of like marched in front of him or whatever. And he's just like, what are you doing? Tell me. But uh, I hadn't realized that that <laughs> might've been deeper than I thought. Um, interesting. Is this is this the beginning of the the slow slow descent of Bilbo into Gollumhood? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, is is this how it started for Gollum? Huh, it was yeah. all well and good, but he was in above his head. Yeah, so he had, just had to keep on stealing. Oh, inter- that's very interesting. Huh. I I don't want to necessarily. Uh, be like devil's advocate for the sake of it but like are we giving tolkien too much credit at this point uh because he hadn't written the lord of the rings um, i think probably <laughs> <laughs> um Gaul, it could be that these little creatures how else are they going to get food stealing is the easiest thing especially when you have a ring yeah um it could be after the fact tolkien wrote that into Gollum's story and create that parallel on purpose i guess regardless whether he thought of it beforehand or did it after like it's it is a is a pretty masterful um parallel there uh and like just the the depth of the world is pretty fantastic yeah it's cool that that it exists that um not that it exists that's a stupid thing to say (laughs) (laughs) it's it just it caught me this time i'd never noticed it before but Oh, Smeagol started his career out this way. And then later on, I can't remember if it's in the books, but in the movies, old Frodo wants to see the good that's left in Smeagol because he sees himself turning into him. So it all kind of goes oh, round, man. you know? Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And I, I guess he also has to believe that uh, that Bilbo didn't go too far that way. 
Yeah, especially after he sees his monstrous face at uh, Elrond's last homely house. Man, that is one of the coolest parts of the movie. <laughs> That's so well done. Yeah, anyhow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Something to think about. Uh, something deep to think about rather than um, something shallow to think about, like Gandalf you know, stealing underwear. Yeah, stealing underwear or um, bomber shitting on the goblin doorstep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we be keeping track of? Uh, I guess I've fallen behind on a lot of my list, but should we be keeping track of the places that uh, that Bomber has shat? Like we got the barrels, we got Bilbo's house, we got the Goblin front doorstep, Rivendell. He oh he loved shitting in Rivendell. That's a pretty good list. Uh, he's <laughs> I don't know maybe maybe cut this out, but someone would have had to change his um, pants every once in a while when they were carrying him for days. Oh my god! <laughs> that that definitely like that's that is the same sort of question as like they were in the fucking barrels for a full day. <laughs> <laughs> like may like okay, I'll admit that sometimes when I'm at work, I'll be like, I don't want to shit at work. <laughs> Some days, not not every day. There are days where it's like I'm gonna go shit while I'm getting paid. But uh, at the same time, I could not not piss for that long. That's for sure. That's yeah for sure <laughs> sometimes when i actually almost every time i go somewhere i fly somewhere um i think i have a mental trigger that just says like you're not going to shit for a little while <laughs> yes yeah the travel yeah yeah um so maybe the the dwarves are dealing with that you know they just they're not going to poo for a while so they're okay okay yeah fair enough yeah um except for bomber Yes, except for Bomber. Uh, there's always there's an exception to every rule. There's one in every group. <laughs> Bomber just can't fucking hold it. Um, I'm very excited actually for. Uh, uh, and, and hey, no spoilers here. But uh, when they enter Lake Town, uh, they cause quite the ruckus, and I'm very excited for what we will have to say about that <laughs> based on this conversation. Oh boy, uh, I got a uh, I got two more notes for you here, Mike. Okay. I was actually a little surprised how many notes I ended up with for this chapter because uh, though it's a little winding, uh, not a lot happens in this chapter. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a weird short little chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after we've been getting like increasingly more complicated. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I enjoy quite a bit every once in a while when the narration takes a moment to announce what just happened. Like when it said, Gollum was defeated. Or in this chapter when they said they had escaped the dungeons of the king and were through the wood. But whether or not they're alive or dead still remains to be seen. But like it just it just tells you. It's awesome. It's kinda like um it reminds me a bit of the old uh the old Batman TV show of like Will Batman. Um, oh yeah. Kind of a, a serial situation. Yeah, it's it's just kinda cool. It's like, okay, sweet. Good to know. It's like it's it's nice to uh to make a point of telling you that this <laughs> I wonder if Tolkien wrote it like that because it's meant for children, so we can summarize it in one sentence. Uh, possibly, I, I I would sort of tend to think so. There, I think there are a few things that are sort of like, uh, yeah, they do seem kind of uh, like when he says little things like, um, uh, oh yeah, when uh, after he'd packed the dwarves in the barrels and they're all going down, it like the narration sort of pauses to be like, Bilbo realized there was a flaw in his plan, but I bet you've noticed it already. Oh yes, when yeah. Those yeah. kind of things, or um, sometimes he'll kind of wink at the reader and say, as you know, hobbits do such and such. 
yeah i feel like that's kind of kind of like yeah sort of little kiddish like uh yeah yeah but i also love it i do too part of the charm of the book yes absolutely definitely and speaking of charm this last note is about gandalf (laughs) at one point the narration suggests that gandalf only left the party uh, just so that the dwarves would have time or like would have to very particularly be saved by Bilbo and therefore gain respect for him. That's giving uh, Gandalf a lot of credit. Yeah, I want to call bullshit on that. <laughs> Although as soon as Gandalf left them, Bilbo had to save them twice. Yeah, B- Bilbo really carries them through Mirkwood, to be completely fair. <laughs> yep. Um, 13 dwarves on his little tiny back. <laughs> He's, he's like a, a miniature dory. <laughs> uh, also, I haven't mentioned uh, my Grand Gandalf theory in a long time. And uh, I think this is a good chance uh, to remind listeners and also myself that I have a Gandalf theory. <laughs> but I'm not sure when will be appropriate uh, sans spoilers to actually mention it again. But I, I have a Gandalf theory, Mike. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I'd forgotten about your Gandalf theory. I, th- I think he's out there puppet mastering, man. I, I think he's. I think he's got a plan. Do you think he's pulling some strings? Literally. Well, okay. I guess not literally. M- metaphorically. Hmm. Do you think that Gandalf knew that the dwarves would fuck up and and fall into the clutches of the wood elves, and then the wood elves would be interested in what was going to happen at the Lonely Mountain? Uh, that is that is entirely possible. Um, I couldn't help but think when it like when it mentioned this about like yeah what you know did Gandalf know overall or predict without Bilbo or Gandalf how much of a bumbling troop of idiots are these dwarves <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have gotten to the Misty Mountains let alone through them over them past them into Mirkwood <laughs> like I don't know how they got to the Shire on their own uh, that's they must have been pretty close by. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what other than like fine silverware a hobbit really needs. Like they certainly don't need uh, shoes cobbled or anything like that, but maybe they were just doing some work in the Shire. <laughs> no, also, no wonder they were starving when they showed up. They probably hadn't eaten in days. Okay, hold on. I was going to say they're inept, but maybe we should take into account that dwarves uh, in their, at their best Every race in Middle Earth has their strengths, like their places they should be, uh, the places where the 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 goddamn Valar put them. Um, <laughs> maybe dwarves are meant to be, perhaps similarly to hobbits, in their dwarven realms, in their their castles under the mountain. And these are just fish out of water. <laughs> Fair enough. They have a particular set of skills that they've honed over a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, but generations perhaps of just like, you know, mine, delve, uh, dig deep, drink water, uh, eat earth. Um, <laughs> Trade for food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, Interesting. You know, they're, they're not set up for traveling and fending <laughs> off spiders. <laughs> Hunting. <laughs> Feeding themselves. <laughs> Thinking. Not shitting in the barrel that they're in. <laughs> 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 they're kind of like a board collective if you break one off they're kind of <laughs> they just they just constantly walk into the same wall <laughs> wait for the hive to come back for them 
Oh, this has gotten weird. Have we have we ever made a Star Trek reference before? I'm shocked that this might be the first time. I think this is the first. Yeah. Oh man, what are we doing, Mike? With our lives. <laughs> My uh, Star Trek references don't go beyond the next generation. So, do they need to? I, as far as I'm concerned, they don't. But yeah, well, we here comes the hate them. mail. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's been an episode since we've been asking for that hate mail, but no one sent us a thing. <laughs> but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon, where we discuss the beers we're drinking during today's episode. Is that a delicious Corey, beer? Corey, what are you what are you drinking today? Uh, well, Mike, uh, because. The dwarves went for a bit of a thrill ride today. Uh, I'm drinking Psycho Thrill Seekers uh, from Flying <laughs> Monkeys Brewery. Uh, what do we got here? Hold on. I can't read it while I'm pouring it. Uh, yeah, so it's from, from Flying Monkeys. It is a double IPA. Uh, yeah, bro. We're, we're talking 8% here. Um, it's good, actually. It's, a, it's compared with, say, a Bone Shaker which is like just just bitter as hell um this is really nice it's actually really smooth and like pretty sweet um you wouldn't know that it's an eight percent beer you're gonna, you're gonna end up falling asleep at the switch <laughs> uh yep uh i am <laughs> uh i'm just gonna be in uh, an idle toss pot as the chief butler says um i'm just i'm just spinning the can looking for more information to give you but i've come up with nothing uh it's a it's a very interesting can what kind of hop taste do you have there um i want to say it's a little fruity um we got a little bit um i want to say a little bit tropical fruity Ooh. again i'm just i'm just spinning it it's a great can it's a great beer i really chose it for the name um had you had it before uh, I've definitely had a lot of flying monkeys before. There's um, there's another one. There's it's definitely an IPA of theirs that I used to drink quite a bit. Uh, Hoptical Illusion, that's what it's called. I remember that one. I think we both ordered it at the the pub in Guelph. I can't remember what it's called. We went there with with uh, young Jordan Douglas one time. Is that uh was that Van Gogh's ear? No. No. It was the woolly i think it was the woolly oh okay yeah cool yeah uh yeah i think we might have had it there i wasn't a big ipa fan back then oh fair enough uh really curled my toes (laughs) i think that was around when i was really getting into ipas um yeah man it's from barry that's great uh what you got mike (laughs) well Corey, in honor of the poor guards (laughs) who Bilbo had to sneak past, probably were banished to that village. Um, I'm drinking Lighthouse Brewing's Nightwatch Coffee Lager. Oh, nice. Excellent choice. <laughs> had they had this coffee lager, maybe they wouldn't have fallen asleep. I, it just goes to show that you shouldn't get wasted before work. M- never. It's never, never a good idea. Uh, yeah, I think my grandfather used to say that. I can't think of a situation where it's a good idea. <laughs> uh, nope, neither can I. I cannot think of an occupation or a situation within that. Uh, how is it, Mike? It's really good. I'm a pretty big fan of this beer. It's 
it's weird. The you wouldn't think coffee and lager would go together. Usually, coffee is more of a dark beer, like a stout. Yeah. Um, but they really play off each other. The like the sweetness and from the lager and the uh, the bitterness from the coffee really balance. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. You ever had and a? It, sorry. It has um, a really forward coffee taste, if you know what I mean. But it doesn't really have the coffee aftertaste. Oh, wow! Very nice. Uh-huh. It's bright and clear and crisp and refreshing. Oh wow! I, I wouldn't have. I, yeah, hmm, I wouldn't have thought that uh, based on the name. That sounds. Yeah, you would. You would think it would be dark, deep. Yeah, maybe, heavy, thick, rich. Yeah, it's it's not above. It's it's a strange beer, and I like it. Cool. That sounds great. You got yeah yeah you know over over on that coast you got some uh, you got some good breweries there, bro. I think there are over nine microbreweries on the island. There's got to be well more, maybe maybe over twelve. There's a lot. Yeah, fair enough. Um, occasionally, I try to take stock of all the uh, those all the small breweries in Toronto to be like, Toronto, because because you know the whole um, uh, oh raccoons are fighting in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, I can. <laughs> okay, good. Probably good. It's just a horrible screeching. Um, yeah, because the whole coronavirus uh, buy fifty bucks and you get free delivery thing. I've been like, who hasn't I looked at recently? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, nine is a is a heck of a lot. Have you ever had? Um, I'm trying to think what brewery it was from or where I had it, but there's like there's a black lager that I've had somewhere, and it's not specifically coffee, but um, it was damn good. It was like a light dark beer, if that makes oh. sense. There's a brewery here that has a black IPA. Really? I've got, I actually have one in my fridge right now. Huh. Um, just a coincidence. What a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really interesting because it has kind of those stout qualities, but it also has the, the bite of an IPA. Wow. That sounds great, actually. Where is that from? Uh, what brewery is that from? Category 12. Oh, okay. Sure. They, yeah. they, uh, they're pretty good, too. Yeah. They do a lot of dark beers, actually. Oh, okay, cool. It, you yeah. know what? I've rarely had a better time at the Green Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> a surprisingly informative visit to the Green Dragon. <laughs> Considering how long we've been drinking this particular episode, yeah, we had a lot to say. <laughs> uh, I just can't wait for next episode. Uh, I, You know, I, I'm excited to see because you mentioned that you had uh, something for the next episode as well, and I don't. I gotta, I gotta return to my local locked down LCBO and <laughs> pick up some good stuff. I haven't found my beer yet, but I know what it is. If if you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I need to seek it out. Like I've... Bilbo traveling through the cavernous uh, Elven city. <laughs> He's just like, I, I know there's some fucking elf somewhere baking a sourdough, and I'm going to find him, and I'm going to steal it. <laughs> you know, this brings up a question, and maybe this isn't Green Dragon appropriate, but like elves are pretty seemingly meticulous creatures, uh, unless they're drunk on the heady vintage of Dorwinian. Would they not have figured out that like food was just vanishing for like three weeks? <laughs> That's a really good point. Um they also can kind of sense magic and you would think that the one ring coming into their realm would, you know, be a big deal. It would set off some alarms. Literally the most powerful thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, this ties into your Gandalf theory. 
I'm not sure what your Gandalf three is, but maybe it ties in. I, I maybe they were aware and they allowed this to happen. Um, yeah, a bit of like uh, sometimes you just gotta let the spinning wheel spin kind of thing. Like, yeah, maybe Gandalf said, "There's gonna be a little rabbit-like fellow wandering around and stealing things from you, and he's going to break some dwarves out, and he's gonna steal your barrels and cause some <laughs> just minor mischief. Just let him be." <laughs> Just, just let it happen. He might seem vaguely evil, uh, but it's just the ring, man. Really, <laughs> you hear cackling or him calling something precious in a dark corner. <laughs> You're just an elf. You're looking at a sourdough that you just took out of the oven. It vanishes, and then you hear, "Yes, <laughs> that's fine. It's totally fine. Normal day." <laughs> It could have been part of Gandalf building up Bilbo so that he had the courage to face Smaug. <laughs> he told the elves to go easy on him. Oh, boy. Yeah. We need him. W- was that the Green Dragon? I think it was, yeah. Thanks for joining us at the Green Dragon. See you next time. That was great. <laughs> the dwarf breathed so loud we could have shot him in the dark. Welcome to Dwarf Quotes, where we discuss a quote from one of the dwarves this chapter if there are any (laughs) sometimes that happens yeah uh there are a few this chapter Corey. what do you got uh well mike if you're ready for it my dwarf quote for this week is i'm sure we are all forever at your service whatever happens after this i feel like i'm cheating here Corey. that was definitely thorin when he had been released from prison and wanted to know what the plan was okay yeah you're absolutely right mike <laughs> uh I, did, I think i did this to you last chapter though or a couple chapters ago where you had picked a quote which was like my my alternate quote for that chapter so yeah so we're uh, even <laughs> he, i poured i i wanted a good quote for you and i read every dwarf quote a couple times because there were only a handful <laughs> okay cool i i just i just think uh this this quote is a particular note because uh, I don't think I don't fucking think Thorin meant this when he said it. <laughs> I think he's going to go back on this. It's also interesting that Thorin also um, let me backtrack a bit. Last chapter, the other dwarves were looking towards Bilbo for guidance. Yes. And now Thorin is also looking towards Bilbo for guidance. Oh yeah, that's interesting. He's proven his worth to all of them. Yeah, the very finest. He's proven his quality. <laughs> what quote have you got, Mike? I have a pretty fine burglar you make. Fuck. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. A pretty fine burglar you make. I'm going to say Elder Statesman Balin said that. That's a good guess. It would be something Balin would say, but it wasn't Balin. You have two more guesses. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right. Uh, it's not string, Corey. <laughs> well, I was explaining that, that joke to Tiff the other day, and it was fun. Um, I, I'm just going to go for it. Was it Thorin? It was definitely Thorin, yeah. He's okay. the only one who t- talked to Bobo, I think specifically, he said he said the most. Yeah, Balin was mostly sassing the king, I guess, and then uh, yeah, yeah. 
was yeah, that my sorry go ahead well was was that um was that part of his sort of like uh i'm sure we're all forever at your service whatever happens after this what a fine burglar you make like was that was that one tirade yeah. he was on we both picked a quote from the, the same passage <laughs> from the same soliloquy mike yeah Thorin loves uh, his soliloquy <laughs> my alternative i'll give you my alternative please don't argue there's a good fellow don't argue this. What I, I can't even actually picture what part of the chapter that was from. Uh, I want to say it almost sounds like Bilbo <laughs> saying yeah, that. Well, it, it was a trick question. Bilbo oh, said. okay. <laughs> but it's a great example of Bilbo, Bilbo's self-esteem having risen to the point where he's sassing the dwarves. He's pushing a dwarf's head down into a barrel and nailing it shut, <laughs> saying, "Don't argue. There's a good fellow." <laughs> Mr. Baggins, the, you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> he certainly has. From a, a simpering, simpering grocer. <laughs> Bobbing and puffing on the mat. Wringing his hands. <laughs> He's shoving dwarves headfirst into, into cider barrels and wine barrels. And then, well, he's like, you know, just... <laughs> literally surfing on a barrel he's like what if those dwarves are drowning uh bomber's pretty low in the water he better be in a big barrel like an apple barrel <laughs> apple mike, barrel ready? for an apple bottom well played mike well played uh, so this has been dwarf quotes <laughs> Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us at the Dwarf Quotes. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a good time at the Dwarf Quotes. <laughs> What's in its pockets is where we discuss what may or may not be in a character's pockets at any given time. Corey, who's been stealing what? Like, I would like you to try and guess... And I, and I have the answer here. <laughs> I'd like you to try and guess what is in Thranduil, King of the Wood Elves, Pockets's. His, sorry, his royal Pockets's. Well, we know his head is adorned with leaves and berries. <laughs> yes, we do know that. I'm going to say leaves and berries. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent excellent guess and i'm not going to discount it however it's not the particular object that i have in mind would you like three guesses i would love three guesses um open up my water here we know it's not gold no because he does not have enough of that uh, i'm gonna guess an empty wineskin again i can't discount that he does have that in his pocket however <laughs> is not the object i'm gonna give you a hint this is uh one of your running jokes well it's our running jokes but i think you started it so that's why it's for yours it's for both of us i'm not gonna remember does he have a pair of gandalf's underpants <laughs> oh i wish he did wrong running joke i was gonna say he's got thorin's harp in his pocket <laughs> oh someone stole that harp you're right yeah, exactly. When they took him captive, they were like, oh, that's a golden heart. Let's go into the game. Bilbo did not shove that harp into a, an, into a barrel either. <laughs> he did not, no. Excellent guesses, Mike.
You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say all three of your guesses were correct. He had Gandalf's underwear. He had some gold, yet not enough. He also had berries <laughs> to adorn himself with. Is that how is that how Gandalf convinced him to allow Bilbo to wander around his kingdom? Look, I got a little guy coming through. He's gonna have an incredibly evil ring. Can you just turn your turn the other way? Just look away from it. Gandalf, man, what can you do for me? I've got this pair of underwear. His gray underwear? Imagine when it becomes colorless. The whites? Dude. The whites. We've, how, how did it come to this? <laughs> no, fuck it. Uh, what, what, Mike, what have you got for pockets this week? <laughs> well, Corey, <laughs> um, as we know, none of the dwarves have anything left. They've lost everything but their knives. One character in our party has been wandering about. What, okay. What has Bilbo stolen from the elves? What has he stolen and put in his pockets? In his dirty little pockets. Do you think he's just uh, a, a conduit, a tool, if you will, of Gandalf the Grey, underwear stealer extraordinaire, and he's got some Alvin underwear? I think he, I think that's exactly what's happening. Uh, <laughs> as, as we know, he's kind of beholden to Gandalf. Um, Gandalf has manipulated him, groomed him a bit. Groomed him for this moment. <laughs> yeah. I think he's been going around stealing rare Alvin underpants. <laughs> There's only there's only one part of the game. If you like go to the next cutscene, you cannot go back and steal more Elven underwear. <laughs> you have to wait. It's why it was so miserable for him hanging out in what must be a pretty magical place. Oh, imagine the shame. Just the invisible shame. <laughs> he loves elves. <laughs> he does love elves. And there he is just defiling them. He probably had a barrel full that he had to push over. I wonder if you're so worried about water getting in. <laughs> do you think do you think only the underwear of Smaug the Great could be <laughs> could outdo the underwears that have been collected thus far? I don't think Bilbo's getting those underpants. <laughs> We'll we'll have to see. I, I no spoilers. We'll just have to find out. Yeah. They're probably bejeweled. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, uh, yes, actually, I think they've had jewels pressed into them. Yeah. Yep. Except for in one strategic spot. One little fucking spot. <laughs> yes. Are we going to leave any of this in? This is great. Um, uh, you cut out whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> great episode of uh, What's in His Pockets is. Yep. Uh, I think it's been a few episodes since we've done this, and welcome back. It has been a few. Yeah, we didn't have much as... <laughs> You know, the the dwarves were wandering aimlessly through a forest. And there was no one to really steal underwear from. No, except for some filthy spiders, but they don't wear anything. <laughs> Adder cup. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been, uh, before, for approximately 8 p.m. to when we started the meeting, I was, I was singing, <laughs> I was singing ground control to Major Tom Naughty. <laughs> and it was making me laugh so hard. Here am I cutting through the cobweb. 
<laughs> far above the forest floor. Um, yeah, excellent. Just, just, just. A Bomber's great nose is blue, and there's nothing I can do. <laughs> dragon, not just be a dragon in these parts for a thousand years. And we're finally at famous dragons, perhaps one of our most famous segments. This is where we talk about a dragon from pop culture, from literature, from pop culture or literature. Mike, what famous dragon have you got for us this week? Corey, I've got a famous dragon from pop culture. Excellent choice. Um, How familiar are you with the Sega Saturn? Oh, uh, incredibly unfamiliar, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Well, good. Because (laughs) this dragon came from a Sega Saturn launch game. Interesting. When Sega Saturn launched, there was a game that came out that was very similar to Star Fox. Remember Star Fox? Yes. Yes, I do. But in this game, you are riding a dragon. Oh. <laughs> it's called Panzer Dragon. As oh, you know, kind of familiar. You've, you've probably seen posters of it, and I bet you've seen some artwork because you were familiar with the artist that I, the artist who drew the picture I sent you. Yeah, you gave me a hint the other day. Uh, it was yeah. Mobius. Yeah. Mobius is super cool. Um, so he didn't art direct this, but the artist based the world on his artwork. Oh, um, wow. And then he was hired to do the covers for the European and Japanese games. Oh, not sweet. In, not in North America because we don't have any taste. No, we, we can't handle Mobius. <laughs> no. So the worlds and the dragons and the airships and everything were based on kind of Mobius style artwork. It was all influenced by that. Uh, it was also helped by the fact that the Sega Saturn was a primitive 3D system. <laughs> and it couldn't really render a whole lot on screen at the time. So it's mostly desolate worlds, which oh. let me go back here. Uh, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic world that's recovering from some sort of cataclysmic event. That's cool. And it's very, very similar to Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. It, it obviously draws some, some inspiration from that. That's pretty cool. That's really yeah. cool, actually, I should say. <laughs> There's like bits of technology that have been delved up and are dragged up. And there's an evil empire that kind of controls things. And they have all these fantastical flying ships that don't make any sort of sense. And then there are all <laughs> these biological weapons that are flying around. That's cool. Uh, really cool barren wasteland that is kind of has kind of been taken over by nature again. So there are flooded ruins and underground kind of fantastical machinery you fly through and giant dank forests full of flying witch metacolites. So I'm painting a picture. (laughs) It's it's actually really cool. Um, An ancient game. Um, So let's go background to the dragon. Um, So the game starts out and the main character is on a hunt with two other guys through some barren desert. And he sees a dragonfly overhead and he goes riding after it on this weird little thing he's riding. (laughs) Um, And a bunch of stuff happens. The character comes face to face with this dragon who's being ridden by this dying character. 
the dying character touches him and there's some sort of a psychic link that's exchanged and the hunter becomes the next dragon rider you then proceed to well you are then taken take control of the hunter and you pilot this dragon through seven stages of shoot him up goodness Um, the dragon is pretty cool. I don't think we've discussed a dragon with bony protrusions, have we? You know what? Definitely not. <laughs> um, Panzer Dragon, or Dragoon, Ooh. is German for armored dragon. Ah. Uh, the dragon kind of has an exoskeleton. Uh, a lot of the weird biological creatures in the game have this kind of thing, too. That's cool. Uh, just bony protrusions over its skin uh, and it has this giant horn on its front that pokes out um, so you fly through the, all these levels and you battle all of these these crazy machines and biological weapons as i mentioned pretty short game but pretty cool very very similar to Star Fox. okay yeah um does it does he shoot like uh does he shoot fire he shoots lasers okay yeah fair uh, enough <laughs> Sim- similar to in Star Fox when the R-Wing locks onto things. Okay. It- it's just like that. And then your char- the the rider, your character, has a, a kind of a-, a laser gun and he shoots single projectiles. Okay, the cool. Dra- the dragon does like like far-reaching laser shots. So not a fire-breathing dragon, but a li- futuristic laser-breathing dragon. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, flies. Uh... Yeah, you know, you know, he fits... He fits the criteria of a dragon, Mike. <laughs> yep. Um, so then they made a sequel to this game, Panzer Dragoon 2. Uh, it's still on Sega Saturn? Still on Sega, Sa- Sega Saturn. Um, in this one, you start off on a little baby dragon. Nice. Who's running. He doesn't have wings yet. Oh. And he can shoot lasers out of his mouth. But that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> Through the course of the game, he grows wings and then at the end of every level evolves a little bit more. Kind of a precursor to Pokemon, in a way. That, that's actually really cool. Yeah, so at the end of every level, he gets more and more badass until he's this giant, formidable dragon. Which, it's pretty cool. I remember renting it when I was a kid and just being so pumped up, getting one more stage further and seeing the dragon evolve. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You have to see it all the way through. Um, and then they released a game I've never played called Panzer Dragoon Saga. It was one of the last games that came out for Sega Saturn before it failed terribly and was forgotten. Yeah, damn. Wow. Three, three like sequels, or I guess three games on all in the Sega Saturn, eh? Jeez. Yeah. I've never played the last one. I've, I guess I, I suppose I could just watch someone play it on YouTube, but I haven't bothered. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it is available to you. It's supposed to be one of the best RPG games ever. Oh, but, sweet. You know, barely anyone's played it because it's inaccessible. <laughs> is it? Is it the same? Uh, the same? It can't be the same format, right? Of like sort of first person flying. Uh, no, it's. I think it's turn based combat at that point. Ah, cool. But it does have a a weird little mechanic that I was reading about, where in between, you know how it, traditionally in an RPG you will go visit a town in between, you know, battles and stuff. Yep. Uh, so when you're visiting a town or whatever it might be, you can just hang out with your dragon and pet him and increase your bond. 
<laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Um, so the reason I remember this game recently is it was re-released about a month ago on the Nintendo Switch. Oh, damn. There is a remaster of it, and you can fly through the skies as a dragon rider. That's pretty sweet. So like a remaster of the first one? Yep. And they're planning to remaster the second one. And maybe someday someone will remaster the Panzer Dragon Saga. That would be that, cool. That's pretty sweet, yeah. It's Yeah, it's a, it's a really weird game. Remember those early 3D games that were so sparse, I guess, in story, in... <laughs> I guess story and the worlds were really uninhabited because they couldn't really render that much, I guess. Well, maybe I'll get some hate mail for this, but uh, I feel like Star Fox is a good example of that. It's a great example. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like the ships are like our three triangles. <laughs> like, Yeah. Uh, but it lent itself so well. I don't know if they designed it with those limitations in mind, but it just lent itself so well to the art style. And then the biological weapons, like these weird murder moths and stuff that would, wouldn't really need to be many polygons. They would just be wings and a, a little body. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That or the airships good. that were like a big floating blob and then uh, a little hull. <laughs> Sweet. So cool dragon. Not super famous, but it should be. Uh, well, def- certainly a cult following for this dragon, I would say. Yeah, it has a massive cult following. And actually, if you wanted to purchase the original game, I think it's like hundreds of dollars to buy now. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Especially because, remember the first PlayStation and Saturn games came in those weird elongated CD boxes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you I have th- that, that's like... Yeah, I think they have that and have it survive. Cool Dragon. Um, I was hesitant to send you pictures before, but I will send you some after this podcast because... The artwork from it is pretty neat. That that is pretty cool. Um, actually, uh, so bit of a side story. <laughs> uh, throughout the uh lockdown, when I was um, oh god, I gotta stop doing that on the podcast. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> throughout the lockdown, um, when I was not working, I was trying to you know um stay motivated and stay like <clears throat> uh focused on uh life in general and being productive uh and i found it was really cool to watch um like a short uh documentary on different artists that i like in the morning to sort of like get me like pumped up for the day uh and i watched a really cool one on mobius actually um i knew of mobius's work and i had like seen it in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways um but like actually like watching this thing and he was interviewed for it which was pretty cool um he's rad man like he's like super cool he's just like this awesome like french dude that's just that just draws cool ass shit (laughs) the only thing i know about him is he took a lot of drugs early in his life and then decided not to take them anymore uh fair enough i can respect that (laughs) i i only read one quote from like wikipedia but it he said basically like he got the inspiration he needed but he didn't want it affecting his work oh yeah yeah okay yeah i can uh also certainly respect that that makes a lot of sense um oh is this from the game uh i think that might be the cover art oh that's so cool he he was like yeah i've I've definitely seen a lot of drawings of like this little cone hatted dude on this like dragonish type thing um i didn't know that was like from a game though that's super cool wow that's neat uh the the thing i watched if you're interested it was like uh, i think it was called in search of mobius um 
which, you know, they must have found him because he was interviewed for a lot of it. Um, but it was really interesting. It was really cool. Uh, it was talking about his career. He had a lot to do with, um, I think, the design of, uh, you know how Alejandro Hodorowski was supposed to have done a Dune film, but it ended up being eventually the David Lynch Dune film. I didn't know about that. Um, well, there's, uh, yeah, there's a, there's an entire documentary, which is called, uh, Hodorowsky's Dune, uh, which I haven't seen though, uh, was explained at great length to me by someone who had seen it. Um, as, essentially it was like, it, it went as far as it possibly could before production. Uh, and then the production was sort of like canceled and then ended up being replaced by the David Lynch Dune, um, with, uh, interesting. Yeah, and a lot, well, a lot of people that worked on it, there was like like really thorough um, uh, like pre-production done for it, and a lot of those people ended up moving on to things like Alien and Star Wars. I think was very heavily influenced by people who almost did Dune. Um, oh, cool! And uh, and Mobius, I think, was uh, was very very uh, very much at the core of that, uh, which is pretty cool. Huh. Um, now I'm now I'm very interested in that. I've seen poster that poster. There's a a movie poster from that movie. From like Hodorowski's Dune or from Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, uh that reminds me and circling back, have you ever heard of the Island of Dr. Moreau documentary? No. There is a documentary called Well, I have to look it up. I don't want to miss misquote it um but there's a documentary about the making of the 90s island of dr Moreau, uh island of dr Moreau movie i have not seen that have you seen it the movie or the documentary uh the movie i have not it's supposed to be terrible okay yeah fair enough <laughs> uh it stars um val kilmer uh yeah okay yeah i, I yeah i kind of vaguely pardon me i vaguely remember it complete mess <laughs> um, <laughs> so there is a documentary about the making of it and why it went so bad and it's called lost soul the doomed journey of richard stanley's island of dr moreau <laughs> wow <laughs> it really laid out for you in the title it's really worth watching okay it's, cool it's so crazy how badly that movie went oh weird i had fucking marlon brando in it what yeah, the hell marlon brando um he Marlon Brando made all these ridiculous um I think the studio assigned Marlon Brando Brando for his star power and then he made all these ridiculous demands right 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 um, like he had the smallest man in the world cast as his sidekick who was not in the book um. <laughs> just just because I think this it wasn't mentioned in the documentary but I I think this might have been an inspiration for Mini Me. Oh, interesting. Uh, because he's kind of a Mini Me character to to um, Marlon Brando's Doctor Moreau. Just, just the ridiculous of ridiculousness of wanting that, of demanding that, of like I, I just want a smaller version of myself. Uh, yeah, he had him cast as his assistant or something, and then he dressed exactly like him. That is, yeah, that's that's very odd. It's very like it's it's incredibly odd to do that in earnest, right? Like <laughs> like as opposed to like making a joke of it, like mini me. Yeah. Um, 
just a little taste of that movie. It's on Netflix and it's definitely worth watching. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. The the documentary or the movie? The documentary. I'm not sure. The movie might be, I I haven't watched the movie, but I'm interested in watching to see what happened or to see it now that I've seen the documentary. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, I think, I think, like, I think I've always sort of been like kind of aware of the movie having happened, but that was at a time, uh, like way before I'd read anything by H.G. Wells. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, it just didn't seem like it was that interesting to me. Um, I, I, I gotta say, I don't love Val Kilmer, man. Like, <laughs> 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 you gotta... <laughs> well, then you might enjoy this documentary. Yeah, okay, cool. Excellent. <laughs> um, as a creative person, it will be particularly harrowing for you to watch it. <laughs> Just to see people's <laughs> dreams and visions be crushed. Yeah, Richard Stanley was... Um, a promising director oh, and a, a nutcase. Well, <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's not fair. <laughs> he had some very obscure beliefs and, um, <laughs> obscure uh, beliefs. I, the, my mind is filling in so many blanks. Here. <laughs> he, he went to like a witch doctor or something and had them, cast a good luck spell on him when he went to the meeting with the studio to have this movie made oh my god oh i love it um but he was like he's like an underground comic artist i think okay okay and was somehow given the the directing rights to this movie and was not at all prepared and then it just goes sideways on him right right it was not fair to cast him with two egomaniacs (laughs) (laughs) or to cast two egomaniacs under him yeah yeah uh you know actually my dislike for val Kilmer had nothing to do with his, his personal life but is he an egomaniac <laughs> at that point he was because it was like after top gun after um heat and what else was right huge? right right batman possibly after batman oh yeah he was he was fucking bad was he batman before or after Clooney? i think after oh uh, maybe before he might have been before Clooney was the bad batman right was he? I think he might have been. <laughs> one, one of them was the bad Batman. If I, Mike, if I had the choice, I'd take fucking Clooney Batman any day. Uh, agreed. <laughs> but yeah, George Clooney was the Batman and Robin Batman. Oh, okay. So Batman Forever was, was Kilmer and then Batman and Robin was... Right, 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 right. So wait, was Michael Keaton in um, Batman Returns? Yes. Oh, so yes. he was in the first two? Those those movies are blameless, flawless, Mike. <laughs> he was in that. Okay, good for him. The only the only thing that two didn't have going for it was the Prince soundtrack. Yeah, although two is the superior movie. Do do you say superior? Yeah, I did say superior. Oh, huh. I love Batman Returns. Okay, fair enough. I think I've seen the Batman more than Batman Returns, though. Like I said, they are flawless, blameless, if you will. <laughs> so Val Kilmer was in Batman Forever, and then George Clooney's in the worst one. I, you know, honestly, I don't think I've seen either of those from start to finish because I definitely didn't see them in theaters. And then, yeah. <laughs> how many how many other properties have we uh have we delved into on uh on this episode damn quite a few quite a few <laughs> hey speaking of which i am shook by the uh 
the the new Pokemon Snap coming out. God damn. Uh, yeah, I love that first game a lot. It's it's yeah, it's an awesome game. I have a very vivid. It's, pardon me. <laughs> I have a very vivid uh, memory and a very happy memory of when it came out. Uh, a childhood friend of mine uh, and I, um, young Michael, actually was his name. Um, we uh, we had a sleepover, and he got the game at his house, and we stayed up all night until we finished it. We got as far as freaking Mew, and, uh, and then finally went to sleep in the small hours of the morning. Beat it one night, Mike, the first night. <laughs> um, I think I had a similar experience with it. It's, it's a beautiful game. <laughs> it. I remember never being able to get, um, I think it was Gyarados. Gyarados? Gyarados? Oh, yeah, he comes out of the waterfall, right? You got to... Yeah, you got to hit a Magikarp in there, perfect timing or something. Yeah. I want, yeah. Hmm. I wonder how how goddamn deep the secrets are going to get on this new one. <laughs> oh, hopefully... Uh, it, I got to think they waited long enough that they can make something really awesome. Yeah, like a very deep game. A game that you can't beat in a night. <laughs> yeah. Ideally. Yeah. It's funny how fondly the other ones remembered because it was pretty short. Yeah, it's a very simple game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's Famous Dragons. Yeah, this has been that Pokemon shit. Uh... <laughs> uh, is that it for us, Corey? You know what? I think it might be. I think we did it, Mike. Uh, that's another freaking episode in the bag. That's our 10th episode. Wow. We're great at this. <laughs> we're okay at this. Yeah, we're, yeah, we, we've made our way. Um, <laughs> I got to do our closing thing. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for listening again and again. We appreciate uh, each and every one of you. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us hate mail, love mail, neutral mail at that hoppashit at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to follow us on Instagram where we post lots of cool hobbit ass shit and pictures of our beers and pictures of Bilbo uh, bumbling and suffering. Uh, and that's at that hobbit shit. And there's also our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash that hobbit shit. You can get on there if you want us to read your comments on the air, if you have questions or comments. Uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And you can also sponsor us if you want us to speak to a medium who can get us in contact with Christopher Tolkien. <laughs> really holding out for that. Yeah, Christopher though, not JR. We're not ready for that. Um, I'm, in, I'm too intimidated by JR. Christopher, do you think, can you ask Christopher if you think that when JRR wrote The Hobbit, he made a specific parallel between Bilbo and Gollum. <laughs> you can't give the medium too much information, Corey. You can't lead the witness, right? <laughs> you want the truth. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, thanks for listening. This was episode nine. Uh, I'm Corey. And I'm Mike. And may the, may hair, the hair on your, on your toes, toes never, never fall, fall out. Yeah, that was uh, our best ending yet.